Hello, and welcome to Tailwinds, the Air and Space Operations Review podcast. I'm Dr. Laura Thurston Goodrow, and I'm pleased to welcome U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Jim Davich to the program to discuss his article, Dealing with Disinformation, the Barriers to Success and a Path Forward, featured in our spring 2022 issue. Welcome to Tailwinds, Jim. Hi, thanks for having me today. To start, please tell us a bit about your background and your interest in the subject matter. Uh, sure. Thanks. I'm an Air Force officer. I've been uh, in the Air Force for a little over 20 years. I'm uh, initially an ROTC officer out of uh, Penn State University, graduating in 2002. And uh, then I got a couple of master's degrees from Oklahoma and Air University. And currently, I'm a PhD candidate at Virginia Tech's School of Public and International Affairs. So I'm about two-thirds of the way through my program, and I'm, I'm working diligently on a dissertation that is uh, sort of examining this uh, A2AD problem, the anti-axis area denial problem from a Cold War air defense perspective. And I'm sort of evaluating the development of an American integrated air defense system back during the 50s and 60s. But we'll talk more about that later if you'd like. That's what I'm up to now. And I, uh, I just to the second part of your question, uh, how did I get interested in this? Through successive deployments, I think I just started to recognize that there's a um, information shortfall that we've been trying to address, that the Department of Defense has been trying to address for the last, I don't know, almost a decade now. Um, but we still just, based on maybe path dependence, prioritize iron and material means over the non-material. And specifically, I mean, sort of like cognition, uh, cognitive capabilities. I had a number of instances where, where my higher headquarters, my bosses, asking things of folks that I worked with and, and in my organization to do things that just simply uh, weren't in our skill set. And I, my technique for dealing with those kinds of issues is to think about it and write it, uh, write possible solutions uh, for better or for worse. And, and I uh, really thank AU, Air University, and, and the journal for giving me a chance to put this down on paper, some potentially, some fixes potentially to the problems that I see with respect to cognition. Well, we were pleased to run your article. Um, so in the article, Dealing with Disinformation, the Barriers to Success and a Path Forward, you argue we need a new capability, namely an information fires team. Tell us more about the capability gap. You kind uh, yeah. of discussed it a little bit, but if you want to talk about it a little bit more. Sure. I, I just think that sometimes, for various reasons, we, we can get into a little bit later, we are reactive. When I say we, I mean the Department of Defense, combatant commands. I think we are um, firefighters putting out fires. And so I'm using this information fires that the fires terminology that's can mean a, a whole lot of different things, but, but generally refers to a well-advanced part of the military that's designed to put kinetic weapons downrange. And I'm using that terminology to advocate for cognition, kind of using that DOD terminology to get after the cognitive problem that I see. So and it allows me to tie in the targeting process that's also very well established over the last uh, 70 years that the, the Air Force has been doing targeting. So, and, and finally, it allows me to talk about force packaging. It allows me to relate how fires require a certain degree of force packaging. You need equipment, you need personnel, you need command and control capabilities. Information fires, the, if, if we're talking about using information in a 
combat setting. It requires the same uh, force packaging. I think just too often DOD thinks about force packaging kinetically. And I, I talk about in the piece that in 2019, I, I believe it was, uh, there was the F-22 Raptor made its first combat uh, deployment to Al-Udeed Air Base. And that was done in relation to tensions that have been growing between the United States and Iran. And it, it seems like, while that was a, a flawless deployment that sent a bunch of combat jets to the theater in a very short period of time, it's an example of uh, the U.S.'s knee-jerk response to challenges is that we, we deploy weapons, we deploy boats, aircraft carriers, fighter jets to the theater. Meanwhile, the adversary has been looking to build its non-kinetic capabilities to deal with our conventional advantages. And I talk about information as a weapon of the week where we have F-22s, they look for their advantages and um, great at finding things or great at fixing things. But I think information warfare is a new domain of competition that we need to think about force packaging for differently. Yes. So Ed, that raises um, the the challenges that you talk about then in your article. That, yeah, and you outline five specific challenges. What are those challenges that information warfare poses to us? Sure. Uh, first and foremost, I think, is, is a cognitive challenge. It's thinking about bias, how different biases can affect our understanding of the world, our appreciation of you know, what we see and what the adversary sees. And, and I think uh, one bias in particular that, that um, cognitive psychologists like uh, behavioral psychologists like Daniel Kahneman have talked a lot about is the anchoring bias, the tendency to anchor on to the first piece of information in the military. That information is largely or typically uh, from classified sources. And so I think that when the military analysts look for information, they look for those classified sources, but there's been a lot of literature in the last five or seven years about looking for new ways of finding information, maybe in the open source literature. And I've got some, some good sources, I think, for that in the footnotes. Then there's uh, training challenges. I think that we've got a tendency to train for the conventional fight. And that tendency privileges the equipping the types of personnel who maybe have technical degrees, technically technical training. And that's perfectly logical for a, the, the high-end combat that we engage in. But I think that leads to some shortfalls that I, I kind of get to in the conclusion and I'll come back to later. I think there's digital literacy challenges, which is something I found in the research for this piece that certain accessions sources like the military academies and ROTC students have less background using social media based on some uh, research that uh, Renee DeResta and some other folks that she was working with found in the course of their research that military cadets tend to use social media less often. I found that really surprising. I don't, I don't, I don't want to make too big of a deal about it, but because I think it's surmountable, but it definitely means that they may start as second lieutenants with a little bit less background. And I'll, I'll move a little faster and funnier through the rest of these. The there's security challenges. Um, I talk in the, in the piece about how when the call goes out in an organization to provide a reactive information warfare response, it's kind of like an information warfare first responder unit where everybody shows up to the, to the scene. Okay, how, how do we deal with this situation? And you, based on who shows up, meaning the, the usual suspects are your intelligence folks, your, informa your information warfare, information operations folks, 
your public affairs folks, they may have very different views on how to deal with information. The intel folks will typically keep it and protect it. The public affairs folks want to get it out. And so you've got clashing interests when it comes to how to fix the problem. But I, I think that we've seen really interesting ways of using information and dealing with those security challenges, specifically in the White House's response to Russia and Ukraine recently released proactively re releasing information, which I think is a really interesting development going forward. And then the last thing really quickly is the ep epistemological changes, which is just a, a fancy way of, of me saying that I, I think there are different theories of knowledge. And I think that the DOD is, has a theory of knowledge built on the acquisition of discrete pieces of information that with the mindset that if we acquire this much information, if we acquire these discrete pieces of information, it'll provide a window into truth and that there is an objective truth to be sought. And that the, so the U.S.'s perspective, and DOD's perspective, is if we acquire enough data, we'll be able to prove the, our case, prove, uh, prove the truth. But some authors like specifically Thomas Ridd, who I cite a number of times in, in my essay, talk about how there's another truth, that there is what he calls an ideological, emotional truth that's aligned with beliefs and values. And that tends to put emotion over analysis. And that this is just this isn't a way that DOD analysts, DOD personnel think about evidence and think about making the case and think about information warfare. And I think one way forward is is building the right kind of teams, these information warfare teams that can maybe start looking at that other kind of truth. So to the teams, what are what skill sets specifically you talk about in the article, specific skill sets required for a member of such a team? Um, can you tell us more about that? Sure. I think there's five things that these information warfare teams need to consist of. And it'd be great if they could all be in one person, but it may be a, a conglomeration of, of several people. But I think that they need to have they need to have a, an appreciation for geopolitics. And in the piece, I mean, I, I get into a specific type of geopolitical thinking that is more proactive, that is more predictive than it is reactive. And there's just a, a fantastic book out there by Phil Tetlock called Super Forecasting that is really, really interesting ways of thinking about predictive analysis and the future and you know, how to make intelligent predictions about in, a, in an uncertain environment. And just recently, I've, I've come across some really interesting research from a, an army colonel named Dave Roth, who's done an interesting quantitative PhD dissertation on the effects of forecasting limitations on army officers and how that investing in forecasting may have outsized benefits over the, the limited amount of funding that would require to go into getting people to think this way. And, and there's more on that in the, in the footnotes and references in my piece. Um, I think the second skill I think people need is uh, metacognition, thinking about thinking, understanding one's biases, like I talked about earlier. And there's a, a Jervis quote in the piece that I like to use all the time. Uh, Robert Jervis, political science, talked about how what matters in sending a message is not how you would understand it, but how others will understand it. He writes that in Perception and Misperception that it is you know, important to think about not only 
how you think about things, but how the adversary uh, will think about things. And next skill that I think people need is the ability to harness the information that is publicly available. Lots of information is available in the open source literature. And this is the soapbox that I've been shouting off of for uh, a, a while now, going back to a piece I wrote in, I think, 2017 in the Joint Force Quarterly that talked about the, the, the need for military intelligence analysts to shift their sources of information more towards the open source. And one of my academic mentors, Ralph Clem, has written a lot about this specifically in relation to the Russian shootdown of the uh, MI-17 civilian airliner, demonstrating all of the utility of, in, in using those types of open sources to find information that are just much more available now than they were in the Cold War. Next uh, skill is the communication skills. I think we're good at talking to ourselves in the Department of Defense. I think we're okay at talking upwards to our higher ranking officers. I think we're less good at communicating outwards outside of the Department of Defense. And uh, I'm, I'm heartened to see that AETC is doing really interesting things with electives that they're building into coursework for Air Command and Staff College and the Air War College uh, to let people practice and learn new communication skills, learn how to communicate differently. But I think there's a lot more that we can do to build communication into officers as a, as a core skill to the same degree that it is other ways of thinking about military fighting. And, and I and include a little paragraph in the, in the essay about the difference between foxes and hedgehogs. It's just an analogy talking about how hedgehogs are good at one particular thing. Foxes are good at a whole lot of different things. And I, and I advocate for a more fox approach to problem solving, fox approach to geopolitics, that having a breadth of information, I think, is more useful than having depth information. And I think it'll allow us to communicate better because we'll be able to pull information from different types of experiences across the board rather than specific knowledge in one particular area of, of the world. That's debatable, but that's that's my perspective. I'm a bigger fan of the fox, fox than the hedgehog. And then lastly is the, the risk management. I think that's a skill that needs to be practiced where both sides need to take risks with respect to information release. Typically, you'll have a higher headquarters that is maybe more willing to, maybe you'll have superior officers that are pushing to get information released to prove the case or make the case that what the military is doing is, is justified, but you'll have subordinate folks that feel nervous about releasing information or operating in that information warfare realm because potentially, maybe potentially releasing sensitive information. And so there's a hesitancy on the lower end of the scale to release information. So I, I think there's a matter of, uh, risk management on both sides. Yeah, I was thinking about what you talked about, the skill sets and the qualifications as you were talking. I was wondering, you mentioned in the article um, qualities of a good journalist. And I was thinking, would you also say the role of an influencer to some degree? Yeah, maybe. Uh, somebody that knows how to play in that space. So sure, I think that's a that's an evolving skill set. I think my, my daughter would agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and then one other question, when you talk about communication skills, what that brings to my mind is the civil affairs role, the soft civil affairs mission. And I'm curious, is that what you were, is that kind of what you're getting at or does it look different? Yeah, it is. And there, and I should say that the soft community has been very out front of this, excuse me, has been pushing the, the 
the services to come up with solutions to this problem that, that they recognized very early on in the mid 2000s that, that we have this, this shortfall. Uh, so yeah, I think absolutely it, it is. Yes, it's definitely part of that. Yeah. Well, so um, to kind of bring us to the end, you've talked about when, that we have a capability gap and then you've talked about your challenges and then you talk about the qualifications that are needed. How do we operationalize this? What is the proposed concept of operations? Sure. Uh, so one thing right off the bat that I think the Air Force could do in particular is it could relook at a document that is not very well known, but but has a lot of impact. It's called the Air Force Officer Classification Directive. And it lists all of the Air Force specialty codes, the different jobs that are in the Air Force, and what types of college degrees, undergraduate degrees, they want to fulfill the different positions in the Air Force. And right now, it's just it's heavily weighted toward those STEM degrees. And so I think that one simple thing could do the Air Force could do is have the career field managers go in and just scrub that document and say, do we really need nuclear engineers working in X uh, career field? I think that they've been heavily weighted that way for a a while and just needs to be looked at. It doesn't mean we need to get rid of all of our engineers. Absolutely not. But I think that there could be a a little bit more of a balance, better balance between the liberal studies and the uh, hard sciences. Additionally, I, I, I think that uh, we could use the methodologies that are already available, like the targeting cycle that we've established for decades now of how to find, fix, finish, how to find targets and put kinetic fires on them. They're, the pro is that it's an established methodology. The con is that the targeting cycle is, can be formulaic and it can seem sequential. And I talk in, in the piece about how this is not necessarily a sequential process with like making widgets, but but it needs to be more fluid. So you could fall into that that um, that mindset by using the targeting cycle. But I, I think it's it's a good way of thinking about cognition and information fighting in the same way that we think about kinetic fighting. And then the last piece is what level do you put this in? Do you put it at the combatant command? Do you put it at the the tactical unit? trigger puller unit. And I don't think it's good at either place because I think that there could be a problem at the combatant command level. If the combatant commander selects a joint force commander who is, is not him or herself, uh, the joint force commander could then have two masters and, and an information fires team might feel that uh, uncomfortability working. Would I work for the combatant commander or the joint force commander at the tactical level at say a fighter squadron? I think it would be not as effective either because I think that you would have less situational awareness than you, you need in an information warfare capacity. And so my, my solution is to plug this capability in these people, this team in at the air and space operations center, because in a number of AOCs across the world, we already have these types of non-kinetic teams set up. They're not doing exactly what I'm talking about, but they could. It's a relatively easy shift, I think, if we played around with the, the training and education piece. And AOCs are already doing joint doctrine, uh, joint uh, targeting. They've been doing this for, for decades as well. So I, I think it's a real natural fit to put them at AOCs across the world. So just in, in conclusion, I, I think that we need to think about Cognitive force packaging, if I could sum it up into three words. Think about force packaging mentally as much as we do about planes and boats, and we need to build those teams of individuals from the ground up. 
Yes, you make the case well, and I think you're right. Any closing thoughts for us? Any uh, no. way forward? <laughs> I, 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 I'm having some conversations right now with one major command in particular in the Air Force about building some of the ideas that I talk about uh, in the piece into training and education. I was really excited to get uh, that information that somebody, somebody was interested and somebody wanted to maybe leverage some of the ideas. So I'm super happy about it. That's about it as far as the piece goes. Um, I've just submitted a related piece for publication to a different journal that, that talks about the influence of bias on military strategy. And so I'm hoping that that gets accepted and, and runs uh, later, but it hits a lot of the same notes with respect to metacognition and biases and heuristics that uh, things that, like I mentioned, Daniel Kahneman has written about. If there's two books that I'd recommend, it's Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow and Phil Tadlock's Super Forecasting. They're both fantastic books about how to think differently. Terrific. Thank you for contributing to the journal. We are very pleased to help amplify your, your ideas and your research. And we look forward to visiting with you in the future and hearing great things. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.